A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. Welcome to Ramdas Here and Now, and I'm Raghu Marcus for another edition. Uh, this is the uh, the second part of this Reflections on Suffering, uh, which Ramdas uh, did this talk, uh, I think, in '87. So, uh, 25 years ago. And, um, you know, just connected with me uh, pretty deeply because he opens this thing, or at least the second part, we open it with uh, him talking about all of life is preparation for the moment of death and, and talking about how when you get to that state where you're transferring, um, you know, you, you experience all of the elements leaving, and he gives a description of that. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's hitting me because uh, some of you may remember a couple of podcasts ago, I, I did this podcast from uh, Santa Fe, where my father lives, and uh, he's going through this transition, transferring to the next stage. And uh, he was supposed to leave uh, when I got there, and this was late September and early October, mid-October. And uh, he didn't, and he's still here. And um, it did give an opportunity, though, for me to really ponder this stuff and, and, and just watch, you know, these uh, significant attachments that we need to deal with at the very end of uh, life. So, for anybody who is uh, going through stuff like this with uh, with uh, family, friends, parents, whatever, there's some really, um, you know, amazing stuff in here. Um, you know, basically, what he's saying and what we've experienced and what we do experience is um, that everything that we go through uh, is... Um, Part, it's like the art of dying, he calls it, and it's um, uh, it's just a way we all have to deal with suffering, and we all have to deal with the clinging that goes along with it. And uh, so, um, and he talks about it being the optimum game is to understand, and if you have that vantage point where. Uh, you see your life day to day as, um, you know, it's every day is another lesson that allows us to uh, disengage from, from that identification with, uh, with our suffering. Um, 
so crucial stuff because uh, eventually we're all headed uh, there. And um, uh, w- one of the great things <laughs> he mentions here is um, uh, he, he tells it's just the example of Maharaji. When Ramdas was first in India, and this story's been told a million times, and you know, we do probably uh, in this podcast and and in other transmissions that come through Ramdas.org, some of these things are mentioned more than once, and, and Ramdas mentions them multiple times over the years in these different lectures, but always in one way or another a little bit different, and, and sometimes we hear them where we didn't hear them before in a way that really rings true. Um, but uh, when Ramdas, and everybody knows again the story of Ramdas giving Maharaji uh, 1,200 micrograms of LSD, and uh, that's way more than anybody's ever taken, except, I don't know, maybe Ramdas, <laughs> he took a lot of acid back in the day, um, and nothing happened. Nothing happened, and nothing happened because Maharaji's awareness had nothing to grab onto. There was absolutely no clinging. And it reminds me of my own, uh, one of my own experiences, slightly embarrassing here, folks, but uh, um, I'll share it. Uh, I did have a, a trip way back when in those days where I had some extraordinarily pure uh, acid. And I don't think it was, it was nowhere near 1200 mics, or I don't think I'd be here today, but it was powerful. It was, uh, from Czechoslovakia at the time. I don't know how we knew that, but, um, anyhow, it, it, I went through the true death uh, of ego and, um, you know, looking back on it, I, it was, I was in a pretty good spot. And this is before I met Ramdas and, you know, before I had any kind of grip on, um, the spiritual path, really. Although I had met, uh, I had been doing TM and I met Mayor Baba uh, through his picture. Um, but yeah, I didn't have a lot of clinging. Um, I was fine and I was riding, okay, we're just free now, free, no body, no problem. And then at one moment, suddenly, a thought came into my head. Where, from where, I have no idea. But the thought was, shit, no body, no getting laid anymore. And I completely freaked out at that fact. Shows you where I was at. And um, I, anyhow, I was uh, compl- gone for a couple of hours into some paranoid, horrible bummer that was really, I'll never forget it to this day. I ended up uh, in a club in Montreal, where I'm from, uh, with a band called The Fugs, which were these poet uh, crazy men from the Lower East Side of New York, Thule Cooperberg, uh, who died just recently. And uh, anyhow, it, it, they were pretty insane, and I happily went insane with them. But just to sh- it goes to show, I mean, that was the thing that I clung to. I could not accept uh, leaving the body uh, where that would be uh, um, a big thing that we would leave behind. I guess it's a big thing for everybody, isn't it? So um, that's a, a great little... Uh, Example, Maharaji, absolutely nothing happened because there's nothing there to happen to. 
So, um, what else are we talking? He's talking about, um, yeah, and that's the thing about suffering happens to somebody. If you are somebody, you're going to suffer. If you're not attached to your somebody-ness, you don't suffer. Uh, and, of course, that's a, a high, high aspiration for us to get to. And uh, But that's the, that is what uh, uh, spiritual work, again, the art of dying in the present moment, uh, without the clinging of mind, is, is what the game is. And, uh, um, you know, these things are said, and, 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 you know, and listen, we hear it as much as we can hear it in the moment that we hear it. And we practice. We become conscious as we can get, as conscious as we can get. And then in another moment, you hear it way more clear, with way more clarity. Um, and I like this, uh, this, these comments he makes, too, um, about suffering that's occurred in your life um, it's part of what's allowed you to be here today, and it's part of what forms you. Isn't that true? I mean, the suffering gets, as he talks, it gets burned into you, and, uh, you know, and you get, it deepens you. And, of course, you don't want to have suffering. You don't want to have anyone else have suffering. Um, but these things really make, you, you know, you're, you're, you deepen the substan substance of your being. Um, and, uh, it's all about just getting that vantage point. You know, I have, uh, boy, spent, uh, many a moment getting lost in, uh, one type of suffering or another. Um, you know, some of the stuff you go back, just simple stuff, not getting what you want. Uh, and once you have that vantage point, things absolutely change. And what what is really interesting here is the stuff that he's talking about, um, and, and most especially Ramdas is talking about in this uh, in this talk. You know, talking about protecting yourself from pain, and uh, you know, we all do this. Uh, and and it's not just your own pain; it's the pain of others. When you see others suffering. Uh, you, you're, you're protecting your separateness, you know, you're protecting that part of you that can't take, it hurts so much to see other people suffering. And you, you know, innately, you have a tremendous generosity of heart, which in the heart, you know, as he says, knows no boundaries. And the interesting thing here is what I find, Ramdas as those of you who know, who've been taking a look at uh, what's what's being offered uh, through Ramdas.org, and of course, most uh, recently, and uh, and I, uh, the, right after uh, next week, uh, this podcast um, uh, is, uh, geez, I think it's going to come out <clears throat> when November ninth uh, or something like that uh, in the next few days and on the 13th and this is uh, to let everybody know this wonderful film uh that we did that's uh taken from the uh, open your heart retreats in uh, in maui is going to be debuted uh all about uh, cultivating loving awareness and he was talking 25 years ago he was talking about this stuff um, about I and, and this film is all about identifying with your heart space rather than your ego, you know. And in this thing, 
the deepest he's talking about the deepest part of your heart is an instrument of unity it knows we are all one it is our minds that that uh, put up the separateness and i you know it talks about identifying with the heart so this has been a theme for a very long time that has come to a certain culmination in this particular um, um, offering, cultivating a loving awareness, and, and what Ramdas is, you know, what he's talking about and where he's coming from these days, um, you know, and and ultimately, as he says here, the balance of the heart and and the higher wisdom, or we can call a human heart and deeper heart. That balance is where the saving grace is, um, and you can't deny your humanity your human heart, but you don't want to de deny your divinity. And that's what, uh, what everybody is here about. Um, and going back a little bit, I, I also want to connect up uh, the interesting stuff when he talks about suffering and talks about separateness um, and, and talks about, um, you know, really being in the moment and, and when you are tested and, then you're faced with whatever practice that you have done in this life to disengage yourself from being identified with ego. And didn't he go through this, what, 15, 16 years ago with the, the stroke that he had? And, uh, and, and what he has called it, uh, which is fierce grace. And so he was able to put into practice this stuff that's in this talk about suffering, he was forced to put this into practice by virtue of this extraordinary experience. Basically, he died and came, you know, <laughs> came back and then had to deal with losing the, uh, in, in India it's called Siddhi, which means spiritual power. I mean, he had that spiritual power of, of talk. He was able to synthesize um, all sorts of ideas and spiritual practices and philosophy and human psychology in a way that very few other people have done to this day. And it was gone. So just think of the tremendous suffering that he went through and, and how that got pulled out of him. Talk about dying and, and you know, the, the water element goes, the air element goes, you know, your breath goes and all of that goes. And, you know, you're, you're stuck with it. Hopefully you can disengage from that and not be caught in it and, and not have fear. Well, what about, you know, you're, you're losing the ability to talk. You had to relearn how to talk. I mean, you hear, I'm sure most of you who are listening to this, have heard him uh, lately since his stroke and since he's been in Maui, which has been uh, it's going, I think, what is seven years at this point where he hasn't left Maui, basically. And he had to relearn it all. And of course, now where he's coming from is, is a, the true substance of living in the spiritual heart in, in that place where he is now, you know, seeing everything, I don't want to get too laudatory here. Of course, Ram Dass isn't listening to this, so I can do what I want. But he, it, it's truly amazing. You know, I do speak to him on a regular basis. And, and you know, he's got still all sorts of physical problems. And there's a lot of suffering involved. He's just not attached to it. So he's living proof that you can get to a place where you do not identify 
with that suffering. I mean, he is, it's, it's a great example for us. And, uh, and, um, but, uh, let's go forward here and, um, we'll finish this uh, listening to, uh, his talk, um, reflecting on suffering, reflections on suffering. And here is Ramdas here and now. And you can now understand what I've said before, which was that why in the East all of life is seen as preparation for the moment of death. Because at the moment of death, when you experience the earth element leaving and you feel a heaviness, when you experience the water element leaving and you feel dryness, when you experience the fire element leaving and you experience coldness, when you experience the air element leaving and you experience your out-breath longer than your in-breath, and all of these are happening. They are so profound. Unless your mindfulness is strong, you will get lost into being thirsty or being cold. And that is the way you will die at that moment. And that is the what propels you onward. And the art of dying in the present moment without the clinging of mind is exactly what the the optimum game is when you understand the uh, understand reincarnation. But to do that, you have to have been able to transform the sufferings along the way and keep working with the more intense ones and more intense ones and more intense ones. And it's interesting that, like when Maharaji took 1,200 micrograms of LSD and nothing happened. The reason nothing happens is because his awareness, there's nothing for it to grab onto. There's no cooks, there's nothing clinging. And so the sufferings, the sufferings only happen to somebody. If you're somebody, you suffer. If you're not attached to your somebodyness, you don't suffer. It's just change, and change is flow, and you're flowing with the flow. You're not busy being somebody. The minute you try to stand somewhere, you're on tiptoe, you will suffer. Now, in this quality of suffering and the clinging of mind, and the third noble truth, of course, is you let go of the clingings of mind and you, you end the suffering until you just this awareness and these phenomena occur. It's just like pain is just strong stimulus until you liable it as pain. And your awareness gets so quiet. And at that point, you're really starting to be able to transform your own sufferings. And at that moment, you look back at your history and you see the way in which the sufferings that have occurred in your life have been part of what allowed you to be here today. That the way they burned into you and the way they deepened you and the way they made you ready so you didn't end up so superficial. And it's extraordinary. It's, I mean, it's bizarre. You almost feel like you're perverse when you look at people that aren't suffering in a life and you begin to feel compassion. It's really strange because they're staying at such a superficial level of life. And you don't wish suffering on anybody. And you're dealing with this paradox, this paradox, this continuous paradox, that suffering in yourself, you don't want, but when you get it, you work with it, and you see its grace even though you don't want it and you grow with it. That you can handle. That one, that's paradoxical, but you barely can handle it. 
But suffering of somebody you love or suffering of other human beings, the whole other ballgame. And you may intellectually know that suffering is grace, but when your child is sick, or when your partner is sick, or when you know somebody else is suffering, it is extremely hard to say, well, it's all grace. And your human heart wants to do everything you can to take away their suffering. And when you listen quietly inside, you listen, you, you listen to that paradox and you live with that tension. You live with the fact that you do... You, you doing something? <laughs> you live with that paradox of the human heart. That the human heart is empathizing with suffering and is empathizing with suffering of a separate entity. Because the human, the human emotional heart is part of your separateness. And when somebody else is suffering, it rips your human heart to shreds. That's what you were referring to yesterday. And you want to do everything you can to relieve the suffering. And there's so much of it that you end up, be, it's unbearable. And what you do is you armor your heart. You've got to protect your heart from the suffering. If to the extent that you identify only with your separateness, you have to protect yourself. You're protecting yourself in two... No, no questions this moment. I want to finish this sequence. You protect yourself in two ways at once. One is you're protecting yourself from the pain of others because you can't do it something. You can't take away their suffering and it hurts you so much to see them suffering. And the other thing is you're protecting your, your separateness from the innate generosity of your heart, which would give away everything. Because the heart doesn't know boundaries. The heart, the deepest heart isn't an instrument of separateness. The deepest part of your heart is an instrument of unity. The deepest part of your heart, your conscious heart, your compassionate heart, your intuitive deep heart, it knows that we are all one. It lives in that universe. It is our minds that puts up the separateness. Our minds are the instruments of our separateness. Our hearts are the doorways to our unity. So that the heart, unprotected, will just keep you suffering. It's not your suffering, it's our suffering. And if, here, take it. Take my house, take my car, take my life, take it all. What difference does it make? Because it's our suffering. How can I go on when you're suffering? Because there's no you and there's no me. And the mind is saying, now, wait a minute. Think about tomorrow. Draw. You've got your separateness to consider. And so what we really have is a dialogue going on between our, the mind, which is an instrument, our thinking mind, which is an instrument of our separateness, and our compassionate heart, which is an instrument of our unity. So it's the dialogue between separateness and unity that's being fought out inside ourselves between the mind and the heart. And the mind throws a fish out now and then by what's called professional warmth of pity and kindness and doing good, but doing good from a safe place. Doing good so that you don't threaten the integrity of the separate entity. But can you see that as you identify more and more with that in you which is part of everything, the need to protect that separateness gets less and less and you can let yourself more into the stream. You can start a swim. You can go in a little deeper. You can, because you learn how to swim a little. You don't have to just wade at the edge. You can start to go into the water of the universe of suffering more. I mean, I can now, I don't know whether I'm doing it with defense or truth. I really don't know yet because I just got to keep listening and watching my body and my emotions and all that. But in fact, in the past week or any week you take in my life, 
I am dealing with the really the most traumatic experiences that human beings can face. And people are calling me with crises and they're just presenting them because I invite them. And what I find is that what I offer them is, first, my heart is breaking for this, their pain. And I would take it if I could, but I can't. But what I am is somebody that at the same moment as my heart hurts, I have a very, very deep appreciation of the lawful nature of things, and that that is at some other level, not the human personality level, at another level, it is at a spiritual level, that is the curriculum that that person needs to have. It is optimum for them. And it's not Pollyanna-ish. I can feel it is rooted in an absolute depth of understanding of Dharma, for me. I mean, as deep as I've been able to get. A sense of the rightness of people's life experiences even as traumatic as they might be. And that is so deeply imbued in me now that I am able to be with somebody that's suffering and they feel that I, my heart hurts because I'm a human with them and at the same moment there is an equanimity in me and often that rubs off and they begin to relax a little bit because they begin to get a sense that there is another way of being with what's happening to them in a way that doesn't have to keep them doing themselves in all the time. And it is an incredible gift to be able to offer another human being. The gift of equanimity in the presence of trauma. The gift of a faith. It's faith, really. It's not beliefs, it's faith. It's a very deep faith in the unfolding of the law of the universe. And what I do is I put myself in these situations and I'm constantly watching that balance inside myself. I'm very aware when some new one comes along and my heart gets so engaged that I feel I'm losing my clarity. See, if you come down too much into the heart, it breaks. It breaks again and again, but I mean, it gets muddy. It gets muddy because you want so to take away their suffering, you, and you're busy judging God. You're saying, you really screwed up giving this person suffering. And yet, if you get too far into the other place, it's so cold. It's so impersonal. It's like, Somebody falls down, you say, karma. I mean, it doesn't, have, it doesn't have the human heart in it. And it's that balance of the heart and the, of the heart and that higher wisdom, the human heart and the deeper heart is really the way I'd call it. That balance is where the saving grace is. Not to deny your humanity and not to deny your divinity. And that's what you and I are here about. We are here for these 10 days to find that balance. We all know our humanity all too well. And that's why we put the focus on recognizing that part of us that isn't in the humanness. Not to deny the humanity, but to bring a balance about. Because that's what you offer another person. When I look at Kelly, I see a soul that has taken an incarnation that has a curriculum. And when I look at some of you, and I know you have problems with addiction and problems with uh, sexual obsessions and problems with loneliness and problems with anger and problems with, uh, with diseases and problems with frigidity and tightness, and I look and I see the whole sea of stuff, or you tell me about it, and I just see curriculum after curriculum after curriculum after curriculum, and I just see a group of beautiful souls on earth, each having its own karmic work to do. And at the same moment, when you present it to me, my heart hurts. You don't protect your heart from breaking. 
Because in a way, a broken heart is like cracking the shell to let the deeper heart come forth. Because compassion is, it's like, it's like the monk who's crying because his son has died and the student comes up and says, what are you crying about? You know it's all illusion. And he says, yes, but the death of a son is the greatest illusion. And Maharaji crying when I was hurting. But you don't close off your humanity by any means, but you balance your humanity. And if you don't balance your humanity, you burn out. And if you don't balance your humanity, you armor your heart. And if you armor your heart, you starve to death. And that's why you burn out, because you're not getting fed. Because you've got to avert your eyes from the suffering of the world. You can't look. You can't look at the have-nots in the world. You can't stand it. You've got to look away all the time. You've got to avert your eyes from Central America and from India and from all those places. Because you just can't stand it. Because you feel so impotent to do something to take away the suffering. We're going to talk about healing and helping and all those things in a couple of days, so I'm not going to belabor that. I'm nearly stopping. I just want to say a, few, a couple more things. If you are going to be free, your freedom means that you do not avert your eyes from anything in yourself or in anybody else. Freedom means to be a free awareness in what is. No aversion, no attachment. They say that for a saint, all the world are their children. And you feel the suffering of another person the same way you would as if it were your child. It's almost unbearable. And what makes it bearable, there is a beautiful statue of the Buddha and it has a little smile at the edge of its mouth and it's called the smile of unbearable compassion. Sounds like a paradox. The smile of unbearable compassion. It's the unbearable compassion. It's beyond bearing. And if you were somebody, you couldn't bear it. But you are the universe, and that is what you are. You are all of that. And it's that balance of inside yourself. A smile of unbearable compassion. And that ability to embrace the suffering into yourself, to just keep taking it in and taking it in and look towards it instead of away from it and look towards it and then take the way in which it reacts in you and keep doing that delicate balancing number to balance that you still feel the humanity and at the same moment you allow. You don't sit around judging God like Job, you know, what have you done to me? I'm a good guy. What are you doing this to me for? You don't apply your rational criteria to the universe because the way karma works is not understandable by your rational mind since your rational mind is a product of karma. And a system cannot understand something that is meta to itself. It's a logical impossibility. So that you don't hear the full universe. And there's where the faith comes and the faith is deepened through your own practices, through your own direct experiences. It's not beliefs that somebody hands you, it's faith that comes through your own direct experiences. So
So you learn to keep your heart open in hell. Finally. Recently I took a chemical. Um, it was like a 10-minute acid trip. Somebody had this new chemical and I said I would try it. And I... Um, About 20 seconds after I took it, it came. I, I was in a very, ex, uh, right at the edge of the void. And then as I came back, I began to be aware of the universe and the nature of suffering, the nature of what's called dukkha or suffering. And I experienced an involuntary process going on in myself, which sounded like retching. I was going, and the people around me were getting buckets and all that. And it was interesting because inside of me, I was in a state of bliss, first of all. And at the same moment, what I was experiencing was I was gorging on my consuming of the suffering into myself. It was like a mother embracing its children into itself. And it was like, it was the most primordial experience. It lasted about three minutes. But I recognized exactly how that was an image of just what was going on in my life. That if you're going to be free, you can't turn, you can't avert your gaze from anything. And you can't even avert your gaze into pity or avert your gaze into kindness or into righteousness, they deserve to suffer. Can't avert your gaze at all. You've just got to sit with the bare facts of the phenomena of what's going on. And when you look into the eyes of somebody that has done a lot of that work, their eyes look dead, almost burned out empty, but very, very deep and kind of timeless and just present. You watch the eyes, like Ramana Maharshi's eyes, the eyes like that, Ananda Maya's eyes. You look into those eyes and you just see that they can look at it all. They're eyes that look at the universe as it is. And they don't have to dissemble in order to stay, keep it together. That's what freedom is. Freedom isn't all ha ha ha, it's all. And yet, and yet, it has bliss. It has that, it has a credible quality of joy in it. And that's what was so staggering to me, that I was in bliss at the same moment this process of incorporating the suffering was going on into myself. It was the bliss of intimacy. It was the bliss of being with the beloved. It was the bliss of merging with the universe. It's the way you would take on the suffering of somebody you love if you could. In which you just become the whole organism, just all of it. It's all inside you. It's all inside you. And it's interesting when your mind starts to let go of your separateness, how when tomorrow, here, when you hear the statistics, like there is enough food in the world to go around and yet people are starving, you get a sense of our confusion as an organism, our confusion. That we got so frightened that the fear led to greed and the greed led to separateness and the separateness led to protecting the king of the mountain status and that led to such suffering in other people and that suffering in other people leads to terrorism and to violence and that violence threatens the establishment more and so the whole game goes on and you see how what you have to do in yourself to become an instrument for the change of all that. 
because physician heal thyself that if you would have the world peaceful you better be peaceful and if you would have the world non-reactive to suffering other than to relieve it where it can you have to really be that way in yourself so you see what the agenda is and the agenda is incredibly profound and it starts with you it starts inside it starts with your own dealing with your own suffering a five-minute break and then we're going to do a meditation in which we're just going to take a look at suffering a little bit not too heavy but a little bit this podcast has been brought to you by the love serve remember foundation and ramdas.org we appreciate all the support for the foundation and for ramdas's work and we hope that you will continue that support you can go to ramdas.org and click on the donate now button and follow the prompts thank you